Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Marvin Bagley III and his family have spent the last three years getting ready for the spotlight. His decision to attend three high schools in three years definitely made headlines, but none bigger than the one Bagley made last August when he not only announced he was reclassifying to the class of 2017, but that he was headed to Duke. Going from Arizona to California to North Carolina in four years is a tough move for anyone to make, let alone someone who doesn't even turn 19 until right around the start of March Madness. How could someone handle that? It's easy. Just ask Dad Marvin Bagley Jr., Mom Tracy, and younger brothers Marcus and Martre. They have been with Marvin every step of the way, right down to pulling up their roots once again and settling in Durham, minutes away from the Duke campus. Is this the new normal to succeed as a future NBA lottery pick in 2018? With all the hype, gossip, and chatter on social media, is staying grounded just as important as your wingspan? So far, everything we've learned from the family Bagley is a definite yes. Stick around after the story from my conversation with ESPN senior writer Liz Merrill on what makes the Bagleys so unique. Now we present The Education of Marvin Bagley III by Liz Merrill. The Education of Marvin Bagley III by Elizabeth Merrill. Marvin Bagley III raps like he plays basketball, smooth and fast. Dressed in Duke sweats, Bagley wedges his 6'11", 234-pound body into a recording booth just outside of downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. On the other side of the glass are teammates Grayson Allen and Brennan Besser, who have come not only to listen, but to bust his chops. It's a Thursday in the dead weeks of Christmas break, and as always, Bagley has drawn a crowd. His parents, Marvin Jr. and Tracy, are standing in a narrow hallway outside the booth along with Marvin's younger brothers, Marcus and Marte, the little ones sinking to the floor to sit. Bagley is so good at basketball that this past summer, USC offered all three brothers scholarships, even though Marte is all of seven years old. But it was sort of fitting. When Bagley arrived for his freshman year at Duke a few months ago, the family came from California to Durham with him. Where one Bagley goes, all of them go. Today, Bagley is going to rap for Grammy Award-winning producer Ninth Wonder, who is from the Carolinas and has worked with Jay-Z, Kendrick Lamar, and Drake, among others. Bagley and some teammates are taking a history of hip-hop class, which Ninth, whose name is Patrick Douthit, is teaching this spring semester. Before Bagley arrives, Ninth says he has never met the 18-year-old, but he listened to a recording on SoundCloud and was intrigued by Bagley's voice and the fact that he has something to say. Bagley pulls a set of headphones over his ears and launches into the lyrics he has written in the private time of a nomadic life that has included bouncing from three high schools in three years, reclassifying up so that he could graduate and leave high school early, and now this freshman season at Duke that will undoubtedly end in a few months when he is expected to declare for the NBA draft. You should get to know me. I'll be around for good. I've seen a lot of stuff, and I ain't even from the hood. My dad told me just keep on burning and keep your head up. And if you take an L, keep moving and pick your chin up. Ninth mixes up the beats, but it doesn't trip Bagley. His voice just gets stronger. I think he's a natural at doing this, man, the producer says to Marvin Jr. and Tracy. I've seen some people get in there and just forget everything, lay an egg take after take. For him to do that from a generation that people swear can't rap, and he's 18? He might have two careers. Marvin Jr., coach of his AAU team called Nike Family, leader of Team Bagley, takes in the effusive praise, but only for a moment. You just gotta keep getting better, he says to his son. 
We are riding from Raleigh back to the Duke campus, a roughly 30-minute jaunt during rush hour traffic, and Alan and Besser are reflecting on their new teammate, a kid they expect to play with for a total of about five months before he becomes an NBA lottery pick, makes millions, possibly cuts a record and becomes so global that maybe he starts hanging out with Jay-Z. Bagley isn't in the SUV. He has left with his family. Alan is the one who picked up on the line from Bagley's dad, and he thought it was interesting. He's always hanging around his brothers, his mom, and his dad, Alan says. He's always hanging around people who are going to treat him like him and not like he's Marvin Bagley, the superstar. I'm sure his little brothers are messing with him and making fun of him, too, so I think that keeps him really grounded. Bagley has plenty of reasons to feel good about himself. In the first two months of the NCAA basketball season, no player, with the possible exception of Oklahoma freshman Trey Young, has been more dominant. Heading into Monday night's game against number 18 Miami on ESPN, Bagley has 14 double-doubles. Duke has played 17 games. On the way to the PK-80 championship in November, Bagley rallied the Blue Devils from 16 points down with 11 minutes to go against Texas, recording 34 points, 15 rebounds, 2 assists, and a steal. The left-handed power forward can push the ball down the floor like a guard, dunk like a globetrotter, and look, at 18, and with just two years of high school basketball under his belt, as if he's been doing this for decades. In a recent win at Pittsburgh, Bagley stripped the ball, led a fast break, dished it off, corralled an errant pass, then slammed home a dunk. After the game, Pitt coach Kevin Stallings told reporters that Bagley was as good of a player as he's ever watched in preparation on film. He became the first Duke player since the 1960s to post a 30-20 game, when he scored 32 points and grabbed 21 rebounds in a win against Florida State last month. And he leads the ACC in scoring, 22.5, and rebounds, 11.7. He's the most unique player we've had here at Duke during my 38 years, says Blue Devils coach Mike Krzyzewski. He has everything. In some respects, Kyrie Irving was like that, but Kyrie got hurt after eight games. Marvin, at 6'11", is an incredible athlete. I've coached the NBA guys for 11 years for USA Basketball, and he runs like the top two or three guys that I've coached. He is not a good runner. He's an amazing runner. And then he's an amazing repeated jumper. In other words, he doesn't really take time to even land. He just pops right back up. He wants to learn. He has no demons. He's a great kid. He's smart and has an incredible motor. He never has a bad day. He's a treasure, really. He's going to be one of the great players in the NBA during his time. But the 2017-18 season has been far from easy. Duke started the ACC season 1-2 and and easily could have been 0-3 if not for Bagley's record game against Florida State. Bagley swung the momentum when he hit a circus shot that bounced off the top of the backboard while he was fouled. Duke has been abysmal on defense at times, something that could eventually haunt the Blue Devils in Bagley's one-year tour through college basketball. When Bagley announced that he was reclassifying this summer, then declared live on ESPN Sports Center that he was going to Duke, it rocked the college basketball landscape. It vaulted Duke to preseason number one, and the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook's odds of the Blue Devils winning a national championship zoomed from 7-1 to to 3-1. to News that Bagley was trying to reclassify didn't come until midsummer, when most rosters were set. The last time a player announced such a move so late was when Andre Drummond reclassified in 2011 and went to UConn. Bagley had to finish his high school coursework early, then wait for NCAA approval, which came in early September. Duke initially offered him a scholarship when he was in ninth grade, and he was familiar with Durham because his father grew up there. Bagley made his official recruiting visit in July. Duke's coaches usually don't do on-campus visits that time of year because they're out recruiting, but when Marvin Bagley III is planning a visit, you make exceptions. 
The team went out to eat at Dame's Chicken and Waffles, and Alan was struck by how seamlessly Bagley fit in with the group, how there was no small talk because the conversation flowed, how fun it was. For Bagley, it was a nice break from a summer of studying nonstop so he could reclassify. We were sitting at a different table, Duke assistant Jeff Capel says, and there they're laughing. That's one of the things I remember, his dad saying, I haven't seen Marvin smile like this in a long time, and he was just with the guys. Bagley's story starts in his home state of Arizona, on a football field. He's very tall, much bigger than the rest of the kids in school. By this time, Bagley is about 6'5". He's the quarterback of his team, and he's playing against older boys in a game in the rain. He's getting ready to throw, and a large boy with a number 99 on his jersey body slams him from behind. That was the day, Bagley says, that I was like, I don't think football is for me. I was just going to play basketball. Marvin Jr. played football at North Carolina A&T and in the AFL. Bagley's maternal grandfather, Joe Caldwell, was a legendary basketball player. In 1964, the Detroit Pistons selected him as the number two overall pick in the NBA draft. Caldwell was such a tough defender that Hall of Famer Julius Irving once said that he guarded him better than anyone else in the American Basketball Association. I don't know if he got the grandpa's DNA or he got his dad's, Caldwell says, but he got both of them, so maybe that's the key. His daddy is probably... Had he been focused like he is with his son and did the right things, he could have been one heck of a football player. Caldwell says the Bagleys lived with him for about the first ten years of Marvin III's life, and at some point he was so impressed with what the kid was doing in the backyard that he told then-Arizona State coach Herb Sendak that if he could hold out a few years, that help was on the way. Though Bagley was big, Marvin Jr. refused to let coaches pigeonhole him by making him strictly a post player. He taught his son to dribble and pass and shoot three-pointers, knowing that monsters under the basket are nice, but a big man who can play like a guard is special. If a coach just wanted him to fill the paint and swat away shots, Marvin Jr. would take his kid to another team. Bagley played on so many different teams. He played his freshman year of high school at Corona del Sol, a powerhouse in Tempe, Arizona, won a state title, and was named the Arizona Republic's Player of the Year. He appeared to be settled and happy. The next season, Bagley was gone. He transferred to Hillcrest Prep, which is more like a basketball club than a high school. It was modeled after Finley Prep in Nevada, a program whose participants train year-round and barnstorm the country playing in high-profile tournaments. Hillcrest was affiliated with Starshine Academy, which would provide the academic part of the player's experience. The move was supposed to give Bagley exposure and land Marvin Jr. a job as an assistant coach. Marvin Jr. declined interview requests for this story. In an initial phone conversation, he said he wanted the story to be about his son, not him. According to a 2016 Sports Illustrated piece, Marvin Jr. worked as a union plumber and pipe fitter for UA Local 469 before becoming an assistant coach at Hillcrest. Things quickly deteriorated for the Bagleys at Hillcrest. The NCAA visited Starshine Academy and ruled that its coursework didn't meet NCAA standards. Hillcrest, a new program, also wasn't receiving the exposure that Marvin Jr. had hoped. So the Bagleys left, this time to Sierra Canyon High School in Southern California, Although Bagley says leaving his friends in Arizona was the most challenging moment of his life, he is quick to defend his father. Leaving Arizona was my decision, Bagley says. A lot of people blame it on my dad, but it wasn't like a situation where he told me, all right, we're doing this, you're going there. It was never that. We would sit down and have conversations, my whole family, and talk about what would be best. And they would always ask me what I was feeling, how I felt about anything that was going on. And I told them, and they told me how they felt. At the end of the day, it was my decision to do the things that I've been through and the places I've been. Bagley says his parents missed just one game in his entire life. It was when both he and Marcus had AAU games at the same time. Tracy went to Marcus's game. Marvin Jr. was in the stands for Bagley. The family keeps a tight circle, a protective circle. 
and Bagley finds comfort in it. While some parents bask in their child's athletic fame, a la LeVar Ball, Marvin Jr. has shied away from the media, for the most part, especially since Bagley came to Duke. When asked about Marvin Jr.'s involvement in his son's career and whether it bears any resemblance to the Ball family, Krzyzewski said, It's nothing like that. I don't even want to make that comparison. I think more and more for the top players, you're going to see the parents or a parent being close because they're so much invested in them. If it all works out, you're talking about an amazing career, financially, publicly, just everything. So they want to make sure that everything is going the right way. The fact that they're close, that's good. Still, the lifestyle has no doubt created sort of an insular world. On a recent night after a Duke workout, Bagley is asked who his best friend is. He pauses to think about it. He eventually says it's Holland Boo Boo Woods, a freshman guard at Portland State who's known him from AAU ball since they were kids. Woods is a guy he can trust, he says. His first answer, though, is his family. Me, as a person, I don't really open myself up to people a lot, Bagley says. People who know Bagley say it's more of a product of not only who he is, but who he's destined to be. Here's a guy who's lived his life towering over everyone else, who took a bus on his first road trip in high school to Yuma, Arizona, and was swarmed by little kids asking for autographs. Bagley hadn't even played a game yet. He is supposed to be successful and famous. Despite his limited high school experience and the fact that he didn't play with USA Basketball like most athletes of his caliber, Bagley is projected by many to be the number one overall NBA pick come June. It doesn't seem like such a giant leap for people who know him, people like former Sierra Canyon coach Ty Nichols, who recently told an NBA scout that he could check any possible questions about Bagley off his list, from maturity to intelligence. Bagley had a 3.3 GPA in his first semester at Duke, to his readiness for yet another stage. I don't know what your childhood was like, but mine wasn't like his, and I'm highly doubting yours was like his, Nichols says. Neither one of us was 6'8 in 8th grade, right? Neither of us was gifted enough to be the fastest player on the team at 6'11, so I don't think we can quantify normal in the sense of Marvin's normal. Marvin's never been normal. He's always been abnormal. So for him, I would imagine that abnormal is normal. Marvin Jr., at times, became animated when listening to his son rap. He bobs his head and puts his hands in the air. He's the one who got the kid involved in rap. Bagley fell in love with it when he was about six years old, listening to his dad play Nas and Jay-Z. Bagley loved the rappers who told stories, and today, writing music about his own life helps him clear his mind. I just want people to see another side of me, he says. People only see basketball because I'm on the court all the time, but they don't see where I grew up, what I've seen in my life, different things I've experienced that I don't share with people. I can make music and try to connect with people across the world. That's really my goal. The plan right now is for Bagley and possibly a couple of former Duke players to put together some songs for an extended play recording that would be released sometime around the NCAA tournament. Duke, which is still trying to figure out details of the project, declined to allow ESPN to shoot video of Bagley's rap session. In the meantime, the Blue Devils will try to find their rhythm on the court. They hope to be together through the first week of April, when a national champion is decided in San Antonio. Bagley is trying to savor this time, of college and stability and being a kid. Shashevsky laughs when he thinks about how excited Bagley was to carry his backpack around campus. Soon, the kid with so many detours will make so much money that he'll never have to lift a bag again. Excellent, excellent story. We are now joined on the line by ESPN senior writer Liz Merrill, coming to us from somewhere in America, working on her next great story. Liz, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. So getting right into how interesting the dynamic, the family dynamic is with the Bagleys. 
based on uh, your what you were able to witness and what you've seen just as a follower of sports and a reporter, what is the line here between the smothering coattail riding family and what in more the nurturing supportive family that we're seeing here with the Bagleys and what that's able to produce in Marvin's soon to be flourishing career? Well, he's no LeVar Ball, as far as we can tell. Um, his dad is not going to fill our notebooks with these bold declarations about his kids' skills and, you know, and embarrass them or hinder their uh, standing with their coach or anything like that from what we see. I mean, the dad has pretty much stayed out of the public eye. Uh, especially when Marvin went to Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's in the stands for all the games. Um, he's obviously, the whole family is a very heavy presence in his life. I mean, they moved from California to Durham when Marvin went to Duke, which is pretty unusual. You know, we, we saw that at least with Ezekiel Elliott, his dad moved. Um, to, uh, you know, Columbus when he went to Ohio State. Yeah, and uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah, you hear about NBA happening. players when they become a rookie. You hear like, and my mom's going to live me for my rookie year. But like stuff yeah. like, but never, it just seems that this is sort of, is this, I mean, I guess, is this the new normal? It, it, you know, it's interesting because I was talking to Coach K about that. Um, and he said that it kind of is, that it might be. I mean, I don't know to that extent, but he said that as there's more and more at stake, you know, from a financial future standpoint, that you're going to see families more involved because there is so much at stake, you know, with some of these lottery picks, that it's not so unusual. You know, to be honest, um, I cover a lot more NFL than I do like college basketball, Mm -hmm. although, you know, I've covered college basketball in the past, but you know, when I sort of got assigned the story, just looking at his past to get to this place, I thought it was pretty unusual, you know, that he had been to three different schools in high school. Um, and, And, you know, in talking to at least one high school coach out there in Arizona, and maybe in California, they're like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's not unheard of. It's not like in this world, you know, of, of, you know, high stakes basketball, it's not completely unheard of, but okay. So taking the totality of what happened with him. So he spent his freshman year at Corona del Sol in Tempe powerhouse program, won a state championship was the Arizona Republic player of the year. Um, and conceivably would have, you know, could have, won four state championships there, a super right. loaded team, uh, and got a 4-0 grade point average his freshman year there, had a lot of friends, you know, was seemingly happy, and then he sort of uprooted, you know, to go to a school, uh, Hillcrest Academy, which is sort of like, mm, it's more like a basketball club. Um, and then... You know, the academy for the academics part that they were affiliated with came under NCAA scrutiny. And so, and then also the, the, uh, the Hillcrest wasn't getting kind of the exposure that Marvin Jr. had hoped. The father's Marvin Jr. Marvin is Marvin the third. Right. Um, but also just as a side note, Marvin Jr. had a job to be an assistant coach 
at Hillcrest. So ah. they leave there then. Um, they, they transfer to Sierra Canyon in California. Uh, it's like probably about 40 miles outside of LA. But at Sierra Canyon, he's got a fit season. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up only having two years of high school basketball under his belt. So look at what he's doing, I guess, first of all, and how dominant he is. So he's only had two years of high school basketball under his belt, and then he reclassifies and goes to Duke. Mm-hmm. So it's a very unusual path. And speaking of unusual with all of this, you know, someone of his talent usually plays USA basketball. Yep. D- D- Marvin didn't play USA basketball. And sort of there's some people who theorize that the reason he didn't is because he'd be away for long periods of time and be away from his family. Um, super, uh, super tight circle they keep. Um, I'm sure it's somewhat of an insular world. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting case study. But in the end, it's all going to work out. I mean, look at what he's doing at Duke. You know, he'll be a lottery pick in a few months. And it's all good, you know. It, it's like this is this is just one approach. Um, you know, in talking to uh, Coach Capel, one of the assistants at Duke before the season, mm-hmm. uh he said that like the family keeps him grounded, that um, it's a good thing. And, 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 and coach K said the same thing that like, this is actually, cause you know, you wonder in these situations, you always hear about these meddling parents, right? but you hear more of it on the lower level stuff, but that they've stayed out of the way. They sort of let him be a student at Duke and a basketball player at Duke and, yeah, they're there and they're, they spend a lot of time and there is a, a really heavy presence. But I mean, the way everybody, you know, tells it at Duke, it, it's a, it's a good thing. Even the players, you know, and talking to some of the, the players, you know, they say that the, the family is a really good influence. So maybe this is the way, this is more of what you're going to see. So to your point about USA basketball, then do you think there is sort of a good and bad then to like how, his being grounded, like how, how being grounded has helped his success, but is it also hindered potential opportunities? Or do you think that as he matures and gets older, that won't necessarily be a factor? I think like, I, I, you know, maybe the USA basketball thing, it sounds like that might be something in the future. I mean, Krzyzewski coaches, you know, I, I would think, you know, he's, he's coached a lot of those USA basketball teams. I would think his involvement there might change, but you know, it's, it's hard to say at this point. One thing I can tell you is, you know, he's 18 years old. I've met him twice. Um, and I'm just floored by how mature he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think we can both remember like probably the way we were at 18 and I'm not sure how many, you know, uh, coherent sentences I strung together at that age, uh, that like more intelligent, (laughs) Um, I'm only, know, I'm only 19 like, right now. Oh, I forgot. Yes, you're Doogie, you're the Doogie Hauser of uh, sports journalism. Um, well, I'm. I think it's uh, it's interesting because he's just the exact opposite of what you would think of someone would be who's sort of had to go through all these changes. I, I almost wonder, and he he said this actually that those changes helped him mature. I mean, he's always played with with kids 
a couple of years older than him. Mm-hmm. So he sort of had to act a certain way. He's, he's super smart. Um, you know, he says things that you hear people say that are like 10 years older mm-hmm. and just the presence he has. It is, it's, uh, it's striking how mature he is now. You know, is, does that come from, you know, being 14 years old and getting off a bus and being mobbed by all these autograph seekers before you even play a high school game? Um, I mean, I think that could go either way, right? I think yep. if you're in that situation, you could be mature or you could be the exact opposite and really, um, you know, someone who, uh, you know, is just the exact opposite. But he's, he seems as if, you know, he has this this really mature presence about him, even with his music. I mean, you know, he wrote that stuff that he rapped, and it's mm-hmm. like, that's his outlet. Right. To sort of, he, he, he kept telling me he wants to be known more as more than just a basketball person, that people don't see him as a person, as a human being, I see him as sort of like this basketball machine. And he really wants, as, you know, that's why I think this, this guy could be like, you know, I mean, the branding on him, I'm just thinking about it when he's rapping. I mean, cause he's really good. I, I wish that we could like have videotaped that, but I, I think it's a situation where Duke's not sure what they're going to do with the project yet. It's just still sort of fluid. And so, you know, they didn't want us to like, to video it because yeah. uh, I'm sure anyway, we'll hear it soon um, enough. Yeah, but he's really good. I mean, I'm no expert, but like you know, he's uh, it, it's just like he's a natural. Just like so many things he does, whether it's basketball or even it sounds like academics. It's like uh, you know, Krzyzewski offered up that he's got like a 3.3 GPA at mm-hmm. Duke. Um, how much uh, though? Yeah, with everything that he's climbing towards like you know you talk about the different high schools and moving on and moving on how much now that he is at duke which is you know one of the the pinnacles of college basketball like how much does he take the time to live in the present with his future so close and so bright like a future of million dollars and international stardom probably as he gets branded in by the nba for their own benefit as well but how much does he live in the moment of like, I am currently at Duke, even though he's going to be gone? I think he's, yeah, I think he's really enjoying himself. I think he's trying to favor kind of being a kid, you know, for the few months that he gets to do this, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways it's like Duke has provided the stability he's lacked because, you know, he's around, you know, when you play college sports, you know, you're around the same people, you know, pretty much nonstop for six months, whether you've right. got them in class or, you know, you're traveling with them. Uh, you know, it's like I think he really enjoys this structured environment um, and actually, you know, getting to be an 18-year-old. Um, it's it's interesting, um, you know, in talking to uh, Ninth Wonder, um, the producer who is working with him on this project, you know, he said that, you know, you can be 23 years old and if you're going to college, you're still considered a kid. He said that with Marvin, he's 18 and a few months, he's going to be an adult. 
mm-hmm. because that's the way he's going to be treated in the NBA. That's the way he's going to be viewed. You know, he's going to be making millions of dollars. And there you go. There is your childhood pretty much over. You're out there. I'm, I'm not saying boo-hoo, feel sorry. You know, feel sorry. Know. He's about to make millions of dollars. But I think he's trying to, you know, really make a point of savoring this. Okay. And, you know, the beginning of their, the first half of their season so far, I think everyone thought they were just going to cakewalk through everyone, mm-hmm. you know, once they added Bagley. Because they were good even before, you know, his commitment came really late because he just decided at the beginning of the Now, maybe he figured he was maybe going to do it before that. I don't know. But, like, the official decision that he was going to reclassify came, like, at the beginning of the summer. And so he spent the entire summer trying to, you know, to get ready to reclassify. And then, you know, he commits to do, you know, in, you know, the the middle of the – I think it was – I'm thinking it was – he visited in July. I think he committed to Duke in August. Yep, he did. But – so if you think about that, I mean, they took a, a good team, or, you know, a team that was going to compete for a national championship, and you add, like, you know, arguably the best player in college basketball, and everybody assumed, yeah, the, you know, I remember at Media Day, uh, Marvin told sort of the group of reporters, he said, we're going to shock a lot of people, and one of the reporters, like, laughed at him and said, you guys are preseason number one, who are you going to shock? You know, but there's there's been a lot of growing pains because, they are such a young team right? Um, and trying to integrate all those guys in there. It hasn't been easy, but I, I do think, you know, he, I do think he's enjoying it all, you know, the struggles and just like, you know, like, like I, I heard, you know, one of the coaches say, you know, he was excited just to be, you know, when he got his backpack and he carried that around campus and <laughs> to be part of being sort of a regular guy, even if it's just for a few months. I mean, here's a guy who's never been, a regular guy and he goes on campus and okay. Yeah. He's like almost seven feet tall. So everybody probably knows he plays, you know, basketball, but like, um, he's never really had a chance to do probably what he's doing right now. Do you think it's important to him where he's picked? Like what, at what number or where he plays? Is that something that well, the family talks about? Yeah. So first of all, like his dad kind of told me from the get go, he wasn't going to do an interview and, you know, I think, you know, it would have shed a lot. It would have been really interesting and shed a lot of light on him and their situation if his dad would have talked because um, his dad sounds like a really interesting person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like a back and forth of sort of begging, not begging, but it seems, uh, but you know what I mean, just trying to um, to get him to talk and that didn't happen, I think. But so you don't really know. Sure, I'm sure from the family's perspective, they want him to be the number one pick. There are projections that have him as the number one pick. You know, Marvin doesn't talk a lot about it because, you know, just like most people, he wants to, uh, he wants to focus on this season and winning a national championship and stuff. But, yeah, you, you have to think that he wants to be the number one pick. Who wouldn't want to be? I mean, I know there's pressure, but here's a guy who embraces that. You know, he seems like, you know, from the moment he stepped on the court, um, back in November, it, it just seems like nothing phases him, you know. It, 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 and, and by that token, I, I would guess that yeah, somebody that competitive, somebody who's such a natural at this, yeah, you would definitely want to be number one. So I guess and my then, question, you know, there are a lot of, yeah. 
So I guess my question from there would be, while he'd want to be number one, is it important as far as how quickly he can be successful? Because, like, let's say you get, you know, the, the people, these trade picks, where sometimes you can be number one on a team that is in the middle of a massive rebuild, or you could be picked mm-hmm. number two or three on someone who is using, like, how, you know, look at what the Celtics are able to do. You can be put on a team as a rookie in a team that's going to be contending for a title uh, much sooner in your career. So I guess my question yeah. is, is it important to him or his family where he ends up, not necessarily in the draft order, but where he physically ends up as far as an established franchise with a established coach and a, and a, and a path to winning as opposed to sort of building one, which some teams are going to be going through next year. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not talking to the family, I, I don't, and with him not being real revealing about like the NBA, I mean, look, everybody knows he's, he's like, it's a foregone conclusion that he, this is his only year. I mean, even the coaching staff, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, it's kind of interesting how that's like a reality now. Like, I'm not sure that would have been the case like 10, you know, or, or just even a few years ago, you know, it, at least like with other sports, you know, like in the NFL, you know, they always kind of keep it hey, I'm not going to say anything, you know, until after the bowl game or whatever. Right. But, you know, it, in college basketball, it's different. I mean, everybody knows he's gone. Right. Um, but, like, you know, I, I, is there is it a deal where it's like you don't want to end up in the, with the Cleveland Browns of the NBA? You know, he's played on good and bad teams. You know, for as successful as he was, you know, at Corona del Sol and how successful he's at Duke, like his AAU teams were, like, they, you know, they were not, uh, you know, at least one of them was not all that competitive. Right. Um, you know, he was definitely the star of that team. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and like I said, I, I don't want to speak for him to say, you know, that he wouldn't want when he, when he didn't address that, but you know, it, his, his NBA career, I think I got the sense that he's just constantly on a mission to prove himself, you know, that, that that's sort of his nature, you know, that, that, and so I don't know that that would be a hindrance for him, but like I said, I not, you know, with him not discussing it, I, I I'm just not positive. He played in the, uh, I know he played in the Drew league last uh, with some yeah. NBA players. Does he have, uh, as he prepares to make this leap, does he have a lot of NBA players or Duke players now in the league that are mentors for him? Because it seems that no matter how good you are, there is a learning curve. Yeah, well, he really held his own, too. I mean, I would guess that, yeah, playing with uh, Chris Paul and James Harden, that that helped him tremendously and that those are guys that, you know, he could possibly view as mentors in the future. Um, you know, he, you know, a mentor he has now, you know, Grayson Allen is sort of that now. Mm-hmm. And I know some people sort of chuckle at that because of like his, you know, his past, but I mean, he's, you know, as a senior on the team, he's someone who's really taken him under, under his wing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's already, you know, there are players when he was at Sierra Cannon, Canyon, sorry, mm-hmm. he was a senior it's Sierra Canyon. 
there were like guys who would come and watch him play, NBA guys. I mean, there's like a lot of excitement and sort of intrigue around Marvin and like where he's going to go and just how good is he? You know, he's one of these guys who can do it all. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that, that the guys he met in the Drew League could be possible mentors and that he's going to have a lot of that, you know, while still standing out on his own. So if you had to put, you're in Vegas, prop bets galore, you had to put money on it, what would you, uh, where would you predict that uh, Marvin Bagley III is in five years? In five years? Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be thriving in the NBA. I think he's going to be, you know, one of the elite players just because of his skill set. You know, I guess you can never, you can never say what's going to happen, but like, uh, the things he can do, um, I think that will definitely carry over well on the next level. Um, I, I would have to say he'd be he'd be one of the marquee players playing, you know, in the NBA in, in five years. Um, you know, he does things that that uh, haven't been seen a lot in college basketball. You know, it's amazing for a guy his size how graceful he is mm-hmm. and how fluid everything looks. I mean, you would never guess that a guy his size could push the ball up the court like he does. You would never guess a guy his size, you know, in some ways as a, as a really pretty shooting touch. And, um, but that's, you know, that's all part of that whole, you know, nature nurture thing, you know, sure. with him as a, as a kid, you know, his dad sort of, you know, he's the one who kind of put that on him. I mean, you know, Marvin the Third would have stories about how he didn't want to get up and, and shoot hoops or, you know, but he was glad he did. But, like, yep. you know, his dad would have him, you know, dribble the ball. And, you know, you would think somebody that big, the kid, and I had to ask one of his friends uh, who played with him um, this, just to, I kind of did a double take. He, I mean, this kid was six foot five in fifth grade. Um, so you would guess that, you know, you wouldn't be teaching him a lot of like, you know, dribbling skills or, you know, like guard skills, but that's exactly what he did. I mean, he wanted him to be the best all around player. Um, and you know, so that's why he, he's, he's just, everything he does looks so effortless and that, um, you know, somebody that big, you usually would expect them to not be able to do those things. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. So who knows? Maybe we'll add a uh, a Grammy nomination to boot. <laughs> well, Liz. Maybe. I mean, he's good. Yeah. We'll see. Liz, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michael. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.